Welcome once again to the Believe in the Ravens podcast. I'm your host, Bo Smolka, joined by my co-host, former Ravens tight end, Daniel Wilcox. And we come to you this morning after the Ravens defeat the Cincinnati Bengals 19-17 on a last-second kick by Justin Tucker to take over first place in the AFC North. We're going to break down that game, what went right, what went wrong, and where the Ravens go from here. Before that, I'll remind you that all Believe in the Ravens podcasts are brought to you by Bet Online, your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You'll find latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. For your, as your continued source for all sports wagering, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events. Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, golf, boxing, and tennis. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Daniel Wilcox, the Ravens came into this game after two tough home losses in which they led early and lost the lead late. Cincinnati comes to town, the Ravens lead early and lose the lead late, and the Bengals take a 17-16 lead just inside the two-minute warning on a quarterback sneak by Joe Burrow, and I know in that stadium a collective sense is at one point, oh no, here we go again, but on the other hand, this one felt a little different because... Unlike the game last week against Buffalo, this one felt like the Ravens were going to have the ball last, and and they only needed a field goal. And when you have Lamar Jackson, and you have Justin Tucker, and two minutes, and three timeouts, that's usually or often going to be enough. Let me ask you, when the, when the Bengals score, and that's the scenario, the Ravens get the ball back a minute 58, they're down one, they're down one and they're taking over. What's your what's your thought? We win in this game. Game's over. I just wanted to make make sure Harbaugh made the right decision at the end of the game. <laughs> hey, it, 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 this was such a phenomenal game, Bo. Like just watching the dynamics of how everything played out. And you said it, man. That's a great recipe for success. Lamar Jackson and Justin Tucker. And when you seen Justin Tucker come in and kick the sixty-one yard field goal, goal earlier after they went for it fourth and two the first time, and Lamar overthrew the um overthrew Wallace down the sideline, right? Then they come back the next one. They decide to kick the field goal on the next one. It's like you take those points. You always got to take those points. And when you got a guy like Justin Tucker, I mean, I don't think you ever not pull the trigger with him, man. It was just really exciting to see how everything played out. And you, Lamar showed up when he needed when you needed him the most. And um, the twenty yard, the nineteen twenty yard run that he had, if he haven't tri- if he didn't trip over Duvernay, he may be still running. You know, to this day, right right now, he's still running up up the tunnel. So, I mean, it was just fun, man, just watching this game. And it was such an exciting game, Bo. And and these are the type of games that Baltimore are accustomed to playing. And uh, it's good to see us get a win back at home again, break that, that losing streak. I'll give you credit. Last week we were on this show and we made our predictions. And I said I thought the Bengals would win 31-27. to You predicted a Ravens win and a lower-scoring game, and you were dead on. You didn't pick 19-17, but you picked the Ravens win. And part of the reason this was a low-scoring game, there were a lot of long drives and the Ravens came up big defensively when the Bengals just Bengals here they just like the Ravens last week. The Bengals had an opportunity to take points inside the five yard line. They opted to go for it on fourth down, and the Ravens stuffed the shovel pass. And the Bengals came away with a long drive and no points. But Justin Tucker, I mean, what what more can you say about Justin Tucker? He is 
he's got to be the most clutch player I think the league has ever seen. This is a, here's a stat about Justin Tucker that tells you everything you need to know about Justin Tucker. In the final minute of a game or in overtime, final minute of a game or in overtime, in his career, he is now 22 for 22 kicking field goals. And you're not kicking field goals in that situation unless it's to tie the game and send it to overtime or to flat out win the game. 22 for 22 in the last minute of a game or in overtime. The guy is either immune to pressure or he just completely thrives on it. And that's now 61 kicks in a row he has made in the fourth quarter or overtime. I mean, he's almost robotic. And the amazing thing about that 22 for 22 is five of them, five of them have come from beyond 50 yards. And so he's a weapon that other teams just don't have. And yesterday we saw in Cleveland, they had a chance to win a game at the end of the game. 53-yard field goal from their kicker, Kate York. Missed it. Browns lose. And it's just something that never happens with Tucker. If he's on the field in the late in the game, he's going to make the kick. It's just proven to be the case. And <laughs> Calais Campbell said after the game, Justin Tucker, what a legend. Uh, 22 for 22 in the final minute of the game or in overtime. And as you mentioned, you would say 61. It was actually a 58-yard field goal earlier in the game. And the thing about that kick was a 58-yarder. Now, they get stopped there at the 40. They're at the um, Bengals' 40-yard line. And John Harbaugh had considered punting there. He said, our defense is playing well. We could pin them in deep and, and, and take it over from there. Justin Tucker, as he always does, when it gets to be fourth down, he just kind of runs on the field. And he waits to either do the job or get told by Harbaugh that you're, you're not kicking this. And, and I asked Justin Tucker after the game, I said, do you just go out there and wait till Harbaugh tells you no? Or are you just gonna, is that your way of saying, hey, I'm going to kick this? It was 58 yards. He went out there, set it up, and he's, he joked and he said, it's kind of both. I'm going to go, make sure John Harbaugh knows where I am in that situation. <laughs> and he's not going to he's not gonna have to look hard to find me. And right. so, there's, so there's Tucker going through his routine, 58 yards, third quarter, matter-of-factly drills it to give the Ravens the lead at that point. And if he misses, of course, the Bengals have great field position, but he doesn't hesitate 58 yards and he nails it. And then he made another one later to give them the 16 to 10 lead. The Bengals go down and get the lead. And then of course the Ravens have the last possession. So the Ravens win 19 to 17. And I think a lot of credit for this win has to go to this defense. They were, this defense was flat out embarrassed by Cincinnati last year. We talked about it last week, Daniel Wilcox. I mean, the Ravens got absolutely shredded by Joe Burrow and these, and these Bengals receivers, 525 yards at Cincinnati. They put up 41 points here in, in Baltimore uh, now, they didn't have Marcus Peters for either game. They didn't have Marlon Humphrey one game. They were missing several players for both games. They get, I get that. But this defense came out and played inspired football, I thought, from the start. You talked last week, Daniel Wilcox. The key to this game for them was going to be keep everything in front of them and do not give up the big play. When you watch the game, how do you think they best were able to do that? Um, I, I think that from watching it and just looking at the coverages and stuff that they ran, they went a little bit more man than I thought they would, but they did exactly what I thought they would do. They would bump, you know, chase up on the line and have somebody deep over top to help just in case. And they, they stayed back. They played a bunch of cover four, a bunch of cover six and cover six allows you to have a, a corner up on the line, bumping them and sitting in the flats and, and he could carry the guy if nobody comes to the flat. Right. So if nobody comes to the flats, he don't have to take the flats at all. He could just run with the receiver. And that's what you saw a lot of, man. You know, the Ravens just did a phenomenal job of just being physical, violent, 
Jason Pierre-Paul got a, a sack mm -hmm. early on. And, of course, once you get hit early on as a quarterback, you get a sack in that first quarter, you, you automatically think it's going to be a long game. You know, so that keeps that in the back of your mind, you know, as a QB. And, you know, I think that helped, you know, and we kept coming. You know, you had 56 come clean up the middle on a oh. blitz and hit them right smack in the middle. And when you started to get those type of hits on the quarterbacks, and he took another a lot of other shots where he got – you know, roughed up and he was throwing and got hit as he was throwing and, you know, mm -hmm. ball went to the ground sometimes. So, I mean, the more you can get a quarterback on the ground and have to pick himself up, he has to get off the ground with those arms that he throw with. And those arms started to get fatigued after a while. And I think the Ravens just did a great job of mixing it up. You know, Mike McDonald did a great job as a D coordinator this game. And it just goes to show you with a depleted team that we had last year, you know, versus of a healthy team we got this year. And you see the difference in the game. It was a very tight game from the beginning to the end. And I think it was a real reality check for the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, the, oh, my God, like these dudes are for real. Like they, you know, we we kind of chumped them out last year twice. This year, you know, it's it's a different story when they on, they rolling on all cylinders and everybody's healthy. Love the way they play Ronnie Stanley, you know, because I told you they mm -hmm. did the same thing with Dobbins. You know, they mm -hmm. was kind of rationing plays, mm -hmm. and you know, I did. They did the same thing with Stanley. You know, he played the first series and they pulled him out. You know, they just wanted they treated it like it was practice, right? You know, in practice, you get a guy come back, you don't throw him out there and put him in every single rep. You let him get a good feel for it, see how he feels. You go talk to him. Hey, how do you feel? I feel great. You know, and it's the same thing with Tucker. You know, with Tucker. Oh, this is a great story for you, Bo. You'll like this right here. When I was in Baltimore, Brian Billick, it was the most impressive thing I ever ever seen. Because, you know, we had Matt Stover. The Ravens always had dope dope kickers. The kickers always been phenomenal. You know, but Stover would kick pregame and stuff. And he wouldn't know whether he felt great or whether he felt bad or whether or not he could kick a 60-yarder or whether he could only kick a 40-yarder. You know, so it would come down to it every time we had to kick a field goal, Billick would check with Stover first. Stover, how you feel? Stover, like, I'm good for 50. I'm good for 55. I'm good for 58. And that's kind of what you see what Tucker is doing right now, you know, with, with Harbaugh. You know, Harbaugh, Tucker runs on the field like, I can make this, you know, like every single time mm -hmm. I can make this. I'm ready. I feel great today. I can kick it for 68 if I have to, you know. So and then I think, you know, that, that's a phenomenal thing, man, when you have that type of chemistry with a player and a coach. And I think Harbaugh in his in his years of being a head coach a lot of the things that you've seen him do the last couple of years by going for it on fourth, going for it on goal line situations and, and kicking the field goals or not kicking the field goals or going for two, he's really starting to listen to his players. And that's what real player coaches do. And I'm really impressed that he's developed enough to kind of get to that point. I don't think there's a spot on the field Tucker would say he can't make a field goal from. I just don't think he would ever say I'm too far away. He's a lunatic, bro. He's a I, I lunatic. watch him in pregame, and he'll shoot. He'll try, not with a full operation, but he has his kicking stand, and he'll try from 66, 68, 70. And I watched him yesterday try from 67 and 70, and he was short a couple. He was wide on mm -hmm. one, but I don't think there's any place he would, he would tell uh, John Harbaugh he can't make it from. Getting back to that defense, so I thought the key player of the game was Marcus Peters, and we talked last week about this was a guy that, you know, he he had the blow-up with John Harbaugh. How mm -hmm. would he respond? How would the team respond? And he missed practice late last week with a quad injury. He was questionable whether he would play at all. He played every snap, and he had Jamar chase much of the game, and he set the tempo early. He chased in the first, I think the second play of the game, Chase Burrow made a quick throw out in the flat to chase, and Peters open field tackle for no gain. And that was the kind of play that they had to make because last year Chase took short gains and turned them into big, big gains, one of them a long touchdown. And then a play later, I believe it was, Hayden Hurst caught a pass and Peters drove him out of bounds with a really physical tackle. 
As the game went on, Chase was on either side. Humphrey would take him sometimes. The slot corner would take him sometimes, or Peters would have him, depending on where Chase lined up. But Chase and Peters were jawing for almost all night. And you know that Chase was giving it, and Peters was going to give it right back, all of it. And at one point, we talked last week about just take the penalty, take the penalty. There was one play where Peters did get called for a hands-to-the-face on Chase, and it came when they had mm-hmm. been jawing and jawing and jawing, and then Peters goes and jams him at the line. As soon as the, as soon as the snap happened, Peters just – he did. He jammed him in the face. He got called for it. But Peters yeah. let Chase know that nothing is going to be easy for you tonight. It was very clear that that was what they wanted to send the message, and yeah. Peters has no problem sending a message like that. And Chase finished with seven catches for 50 yards – he did not have a play longer than 13 yards the whole night, and that was a really, really big part of what the Ravens were able to do. As you said, they kept everything in front, and then Chase was not was not able to beat them with a big play like he did last year. So I thought Marcus Peters was a huge part of that game. The other thing you mentioned, Geno Stone. One big development that came out of that game last night, John Harbaugh announced after the game that Safety Marcus Williams has a dislocated wrist, and he's going to be out for some extended time. And that's a big loss. Of course, Williams has the three interceptions. He's kind of become the veteran leader of that defense. And it was also interesting that when 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 Williams got hurt and left the game, they didn't turn to the first-round rookie, Kyle Hamilton, who has had his struggles this year. But this is your first-round draft pick. And they opted instead to go to Geno Stone, who's been with the team for two or three years. And as you said, I thought he played pretty well. For, um, for for being thrown in there in a, in a pressure, pressure situation. But I thought it was notable that they went to Stone and not their first-round pick, Kyle Hamilton, to take over for that spot. And the other thing there is Chuck Clark. Again, it looks very, very fortuitous that the Ravens were not able to trade Chuck Clark. Um, Clark asked for a trade. They looked around for a trade. After Hamilton got picked, uh, picked and Williams got signed, Chuck Clark wanted out. He didn't get out. They couldn't find a trade partner. And here he is, a very, very important part of that defense, especially if Williams is going to be out for any length of time. Okay, let's look at this offense for the Ravens in this win. And to be honest, Daniel Wilcox for Lamar Jackson was not on his best game last night for much of the game. And we talked about, you mentioned the long throw to Wallace he missed. There were two potential touchdowns that he left out there on that same drive. He went deep. To Devin Duvernay, a play before that, and just overthrew him. Duvernay got behind the defense, overthrew him by a couple yards. And then on the fourth down play, there was some misdirection. It clearly fooled the Bengals. I mean, they, they lost Ty- Tylen Wallace. Tylen Wallace was five yards open on the right sideline, and Lamar Jackson missed him. And Jackson was kicking himself after the game for missing that. But he wasn't great as a passer last night. He threw the one interception that kind of changed the tempo in the first half. It had been all Ravens to that point. He throws the interception, and that seemed to wake up the Bengals. But when it mattered, when the game was on the line late, Jackson, as John Harbaugh said afterwards, took the game over like only Lamar Jackson can. He ran the ball 19 yards, and you said he might have scored a touchdown if he didn't have the traffic in the way. But how would you break down Lamar Jackson's game last night? And and, and again, uh, in that last minute when he's going to have the ball in his hands, what what are you thinking is going to unfold? Um, I, I, exactly what happened is what I thought was going to happen as far as I'm concerned, but I don't think he had a bad game at all. 
Like when I, I mean, he, he threw for 175 yards passing. If he don't miss Duvernay on the deep ball, that's a 50 yard throw, mm-hmm. you know, so that takes him up to uh, almost 240 yards. The one interception he had, he was throwing it to Robertson. And I think that play is normally a Bateman play. Anytime you run that play, because, you know, when I had to go back and look at the linemen and how they lined up on that play and position and everything, and he was actually on that side of the field. I thought he was coming from the back side of the field and it was a crossing route type thing, but it was actually a corner route. So I'm not sure if it was a post corner or if it was a corner, you know, because it, it got cut off from the camera angle that I had, right? So when I see him run off, I see him runs inside, like he was stemming the safety inside, and then he went separating back to the outside. It looks to me like he might have, Robinson might have cut it shorter versus setting it high. Anytime you run a corner route, you always want to set it high, let the quarterback throw you down. It looked like he set it kind of low and he threw him high, you know? So if he'd, if he'd have kept running, like you, if you watch the replay over and over again, you will see that Robinson kind of slowed down and then tried to speed up to go get it. And he, he was running on an awkward angle because he set it low. If he set it high, he comes back to that ball and it's no issue at all. You know? So I think Lamar threw the ball where he thought he would, he should have been like, he should have ran it high. And then he ran it kind of low and then tried to, you, you, it's, it's so hard for some reason to adjust high versus adjusting low. And it's cardinal rule as a receiver. Every corner route, you set it high, you you aim the safety, so you push the safety higher so that safety won't be in that position that he was to pick it off, and now the ball comes directly to you. So I, I think that pick was a little bit of Robinson's fault as much as it was Lamar's fault. I mean, he, he threw the ball very well all night long. The, the, the ball to Duvernay, that's such a hard throw to make with a safety underneath and a safety over top. You know, he was double coverage, double covered, and he threw the ball deep down the middle of the field where only Duvernay could get it if mm-hmm. anybody was going to mm-hmm. give it, get it. But he threw it, he overthrew Duvernay probably about one, maybe a step and a half, mm-hmm. right? Two yards, let's say two yards. Mm-hmm. And then on the throw to Wallace, I think he really rushed it. I really think he rushed it. He got, he got so excited. It was a reverse, a fake reverse, fake handoff. Then he had to sidestep a defender to try to step up in the pocket. And then all of a sudden Wallace comes scot-free, butt yep. naked open. And then he flicks it so quick. I just think he just put a little bit too much air underneath. If he throw it a little bit higher, he runs underneath that ball and it's a touchdown. And then even on that play, Wallace saw he was open, threw his hand up and wasn't running. And then he threw it. And then he, all of a sudden he takes off, you know, to try to go get it. And then he couldn't catch up to it. So, I mean, it was one of those things to me where it was just kind of miscommunication with receivers that you're not throwing the ball to over and over and over again. And then uh, to me, the only throw that he really, really, truly missed was the one deep with Duvernay. That's how I see it as a player, as a receiver, as a, you know, as an NFL guy. So I just felt like he played phenomenal all night long. You know, the interception, of course, is a bad throw um, or bad situational, you know, timing. And it did boost the Cincinnati Bengals up to, to play the way they played and and, get, and kept the game close, if you ask me. And um, But the good thing about his pick, the very next play, Burrow throws the pick to the queen. You know, so you get it right back. Your defense did the job they're supposed to do. He throws the ball right back the next play. Queen catches it, and you go down, and you kick a field goal, I think, on that you know, on that possession, right. if I remember correctly. Right. And then later in the stretch, you know, I really – for some reason, I told you this earlier, but I always wanted to play with a quarterback like Lamar because he's so dynamic. You know that at the end of the game, you're going to have a chance to win it. And you know if you run your routes, he's going to find you. He's going to get the ball to you. Just run, fellas. Just run, right? You run them full speed. If you get open, he's going to find some way to get the ball to you. The throw he threw to Mark Andrews, where he threw it over the linebackers, mm-hmm. underneath the safeties, on the sideline, man, that was one of the prettiest throws I think I've ever seen a quarterback make. And it's just when you see those type of throws come out of a quarterback and people swear this guy can't throw and people are going to hate all they're going to hate, 
The guy is phenomenal. He's dynamic. And I don't care what nobody say. To me, he's the best quarterback in the NFL this year. And I think he's going to be MVP. And it's hard to say that with Patrick Mahomes playing the way he's playing with Daniel Jones. Not Daniel Jones. What's the kid from Buffalo? Josh Allen. Um, Josh Allen. Josh Allen playing the way that he's playing, man. And you still got the gold in the league. You know, he decided to come back for his 54th year this year. <laughs> and and he's going to do what he's going to do. So, I mean, I still think he's going to get another MVP run this year. And I think he's going to take you farther than he's ever taken you in the playoffs this year. The the throw to Andrews was a remarkable throw. As you said, he dropped it exactly where only – it was a perfect perfect placement on that throw. The play to Robinson, the interception, that's a very good point. They were missing Bateman, so it's very possible that, that Robinson is running a route that he normally doesn't run, and, and, and Jackson is not on the same page with him because they don't do that together and practice that often. That's a very decent possibility that I had not thought of. It's a very good point on that one. But Mark Andrews, again – when when they need him, I mean, he is just so consistent. I don't know how the Bengals lost him on the touchdown, but out, it's inconceivable that the Bengals can leave Mark Andrews completely wide open in the red zone, which they did, and he scored the touchdown. And then, of course, Andrews had two of the catches on the last drive that set up the game-winning field goal. The other guy that really stepped up was Devin Duvernay. And I know he's been elevated to the number two receiver this year for whatever that means. And with Bateman out, he's the, quote, number one but he was really all over the field last night. He had five catches, and they also lined him up as a running back a couple times. He was the single back running back a few times in a standard running back formation. He even took like a toss sweep for 11 or 12 yards early in the game. He's an intriguing, athletic, tough, tough player, and the more they can find ways to use him, the better. I've been saying that for two years. I said, I don't understand it. In the past year or two, it was always Devin Duvernay gets a jet sweep, and then you don't hear from him the rest of the game. Devin Duke catches one pass, you don't hear from him the rest of the game. And I kept thinking, it always just seemed that good things happened when the ball was in Devin Duvernay's hands. And for whatever reason, Greg uh, Roman, the offensive coordinator, seemed to limit his touches. But he's not doing that anymore, and he definitely didn't do it last night with Bateman and Hill out. And Devin Duvernay was a huge, huge part of that game. The other big news you mentioned earlier, Ronnie Stanley makes his return to the team. Had not played since week one of last year and that was his only action since week six of the previous year so in the past 31 games Ronnie Stanley had played once and he started last night then he was out of the game and people were worried he got hurt again and John Harbaugh later told the NBC crew no this was actually the plan we were going to rotate him and Patrick McCarry throughout this game it turned out that McCarry probably played about two-thirds of the game and Stanley one-third. And give Patrick McCarry credit. Remember, he had been also hurt. He's been dealing with an ankle injury. He's tough, tough, tough guy. And he came back and had to deal with Hendrickson and, and, and a good Cincinnati defensive front. So McCarry goes two-thirds of the snaps. Stanley goes about one-third of the snaps. And Stanley told us afterwards that you know he came out of it feeling good. He's physically good. He said he was a little bit frustrated by the pitch counts, but I think he understood it, and I think he was on board with that idea. Is it, Do you need to go back and watch the film again? To, what was your assessment of Ronnie Stanley, or is it hard to say after just seeing the game on TV one night? Yeah, I mean, I say welcome back. You know, mm-hmm. And the fact that he's frustrated lets you know that he feels like he could go 100%. He's ready to go. And that's what you want him to feel. And that's how all players feel, Bo. Like, we really want to play. We never want to sit out. You know, we're never 100% healthy, so we know we're going to have to play hurt. You know, most of the time it's something. This is a 100% injury rating with this this league. You know, if you break a nail or if you break a bone, you're going to get hurt at some point. You know, so um, I, I think he looked phenomenal. He looks athletic. He looks like he's bouncing around. He he, he looks like he has fresh legs. 
Um, he He's moving as athletic as he's ever looked to me, you know. So, I mean, I'm happy to see him back out there. And I think the Ravens are doing the absolutely correct thing, you know. You know, ration him, you know, give him 25 plays this game, give him 45 plays the next game, let him play a full 60 the game after that, and then we'll cut him loose, you know. So, I just to me, I just feel like they did the same thing with J.K., and, mm-hmm. I, and I agree 100%. And I think once – because you want these guys to really feel comfortable. You know, it's going to be a moment that he's going to get rolled up and everybody going to be holding their breath and biting their teeth. Like, oh, my God, he just got rolled up. Is he going to get up? You know, so that's, that stuff is going to happen. You know, he's an old lineman. He's in those trenches, man. And it's mm-hmm. it's a very physical area. You're going to get pushed back and somebody, you know, kind of like the kids playing in the lunchroom where the kid get down on all four and you get pushed over him and you fall, you break your ankle or something by mistake. You know, that's how that, that that position is, man. It's such a crazy position. You know, people fall all the time, get slung into the back of your leg all the time. And, you know, so you're going to have those moments where you're going to have gasp for air and gasp for breath and, and pray to God that he gets up. But, I mean, he 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 should want to go out there and play. He knows the kind of type of money he's got paid. And he's heard so many, so many bad jokes, funny jokes, you know, butthole jokes where people are just being mean just for, you know, because he hasn't been able to play. You got all that money and you sitting at home on the couch watching the game. We waste the money on you, all that type of stuff. So he's heard that stuff. And plus he's heard his teammates, you know, ask him 250, 100,000 times. Hey, man, you going this week? Hey, you ready? Mm-hmm. Hey, you, we need you. You know what I'm saying? Like you you hear those. You never you never stop hearing that. You know, you're in the training room. Like, How you feel? How you feel? Man, I'm good, bro. Like, let me let me live. You know, so. <laughs> That stuff gets old, man. It gets frustrating. And that's every time somebody asks you how you feel, are you good, you okay, that feels like pressure. It mm-hmm. always feels – it never feels like somebody's genuinely checking on you. It always feels like pressure, and it adds up to be so stressful in this league because you always want to be on the field playing the game that you love most. He said after the game he felt came out of it feeling good. So I would think – I would think we will see him – gradually as you said probably ramp up whether he plays the full game next week or not that's the first sign you right you want to get out there you want to play you want to, you want to see how it feels and and we know last year when he came out he said the same thing last training camp 2021 i feel good i'm ready to go he went out for the Las Vegas game he clearly was not ready to go and and he was back in surgery a month or so later and out right. again for the rest of the year so uh this uh, last night he said I, I feel really good it's great to be out there again and so I think the Ravens come out of that encouraged and probably will look to extend him more. And J.K. Dobbins, to your point, I thought last night J.K. Dobbins looked as good as he's looked yet. I mean, he looked a little quicker, a little more burst, and it, cool. he's trending upward. And, and that's is. another really good sign. So if Dobbins gets back to trending upward, Stanley is healthy again, and presumably they'll get Rashad Bateman back. I don't believe it's any kind of a long-term injury thing with him. This offense gets gets back to where they really want to be. And the other thing there is, remember, Gus Edwards came off the PUP list this week, and he's practicing again. So that backfield is going to be back in business very soon. If not this week, Edwards could be activated as soon as – well, he could be activated this week. I don't think he will be, but probably within a week or two, they will have Gus Edwards back. All right, so the Ravens are in first place, 3-2. and two. They've got a one-game lead in the division now. They hold serve at home against Cincinnati, which is so important to win these divisional home games. They will face Cincinnati again in the regular season finale. A lot of football between now and then, but that game could loom really, really large. Coming up this week, the Ravens face the New York Giants, who are coming off a big win in, uh, in London against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, and their defensive coordinator is our old friend Wink Martindale. 
the Ravens defensive coordinator from, uh, from that was let go at the end of last season. We'll get into a preview of the Giants later in the week, but let me ask you on a basic level, uh, Daniel Wilcox, what are the advantages or what are the disadvantages to facing a coordinator like that who you know so well? Um, I can tell you what right now. My my example of this was the Super Bowl in Tampa when I played with the Bucks and John Gruden go to play against Oakland and he knew Rich Gannon better than anybody because mm. he was coaching Gannon and we picked him apart. I mean, we literally had I think four four pick sixes for touchdowns, you know, that game in the Super Bowl. So I mean, when you look at that in that situation, like it's, it makes you want to bite your teeth, bite your um, bite your nails on that one as well, Bo. And I really, Wink is one of the best defense coordinators I think I've seen in this league, and I, I he gets me excited to watch you know football. You know, when I when I sit down and I think about the Giants winning, I'm automatically thinking it's because of Wink. Wink Martindale, you mentioned John Harbaugh or the uh, Ravens know Wink Martindale well, and Wink Martindale knows the Ravens well, and that's going to be a great matchup. We'll break down that later in the week, the Giants and the Ravens. But as I said, the Ravens go into that game three and two and in first place in the division, and clearly they can feel much better about themselves coming out of this win than they did a week ago after blowing another big lead against Buffalo. Huge, huge win. Mark Andrews, Lamar Jackson, Justin Tucker, and the defense all kind of take a stand and make a statement for themselves, and the Ravens are in first place. So coming up later this week, it will be Ravens and Giants, and we will break down John Harbaugh and Greg Roman against Wink Martindale and an improving New York Giants team that will be the next test for this Baltimore Ravens team. I want to thank you for listening for the Believe in the Ravens podcast and my co-host, former Ravens tight end Daniel Wilcox, this is Bo Smolka on the Believe in the Ravens podcast presented by Bet Online.